0: I really, really appreciated um, not just the amazing singing, the sound, the musician, all of that sort of stuff that really felt like a great worship session, but I really love the words of the songs that you picked, especially this last one where we talked about we are the people of god it 's a very cool statement and it 's one that 's going to play into uh, what i 'm going to talk about this morning um, so First of all, I just wanted to recap where we're at with our, our series. So for most of you who would have known if you've been here the last few weeks, we are um, going through the series called ReCenter. Uh, you guys will, uh, remember like on your apps and your map apps that, um, you know, if you plug in a direction to go and you get a little blue line that goes and tells you where to go, and we usually faithfully follow that line, usually. But sometimes we get a little little tricky. Sometimes we're like, you know what, I think I can take a better route here. I think I know these roads better than Google does. And so we take a hard right here and then a left and then duck through this area and then come face-to-face with the roadworks that Google knew about that we didn't. And we realize, oh, stink, I'm, I'm lost. And so we go back to the picture, but it's gone. The line's gone, you know, because we've come so far off the course um, and, of course, we don't have our data on, so it's not rerouting us. It's still locked back there in this other place. But so we are saved, thankfully, by the good people of Google and Apple who created the recenter button. Now, a little sweet little arrow that you can press, and it brings you right back to where you're supposed to be. And it's a wonderful little button, and, and if you go scrolling around the map and you get lost, it'll bring you right back to where you need to be. And so we kind of looking at at this year, the beginning of the year, as a great chance to hit the recenter button for ourselves as a church, as we sort of think about where are we going this year. And for some of you, you've been part of this journey for the last three and a half years. Um, For others, you're just joining in now. And so it's a good chance to go back to the core of who we are and to start um, thinking through what does it mean to be Church Northwest in 2023. And so we've been going through this series of looking at our mission statement. I have no chocolate for you this week, um, but does anyone want to sort of uh, take a guess at what our mission statement is? Yeah, no chocolate, no hands. That's pretty much well, like, I, I ruined with the incentive thing there. So that's all right. Um, if you want to throw it up on the screen, actually, if I could get someone to bring the little clicker, I did not bring the clicker up. David, you're going to be my hero. But if on the next slide there, Evelyn, if you want to throw that up, our mission statement is helping each other take our next step towards Jesus. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. This is probably not going to work anyway. But So we want to be a community defined by a growing faith in Jesus, a genuine love for all people, and an active hope for Northwest Auckland and beyond. And this is not just a fancy statement so that we can put that on letterheads and all of that sort of stuff so we sound all like fancy, you know, like they've got a mission statement. They must know what they're doing. No, this really cuts to the heart of who we want to be, the way that we want to be known both internally with each other and also externally in the community around us. And so the last couple of weeks we've been looking at what it means for us to have a growing faith, what it means for us to have a genuine love for all people. And this week we're looking at... I wonder if there's even a battery in here, wouldn't that be something? (laughs) There is, okay. Um, So we want to look at what it means for us to have an active hope. Sorry, Evelyn, you're on the job now, you're going to have to put up the next slide, there we go. See, I made it all black so it stands out, you see, you've got to make sure you see that. So today we want to talk about what does it mean for us to have an active hope for Northwest Auckland and beyond, what does that look like for us? Well, I wanted to start um, by jumping into a passage I came across, I've, I've, I think I've spoken on this one before, actually, so you've probably heard me uh, talk about it. It's a reasonably famous passage um, that influenced a lot of what the worship choices were um, this morning as well. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And Peter, who is writing this uh, book to Christians all over um, the Mediterranean, the early churches, Um, just after the time of Jesus. And he says, You, who me, yes, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. Did you hear in that passage the song we just sang, where it says, We are the people of God with hearts full of freedom. How great is the love of the Father. You can see that pattern happening here that we are chosen by God to declare his praises right? So this is a really cool cool um, choice. Well done, choosing that. Excellent song. Um, and I just love this passage. And if you've heard me preach on this before, you would know that I really love how it mimics and mirrors a passage earlier on in the Bible in the book of Exodus. So if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, it's a foundational story for God's people where they were slaves in Egypt they weren 't really necessarily god 's people they were just they were descendants of a person, Abraham, that God had chosen, and so they had become this nation in Egypt, and they were enslaved. Life was really awful, and then God led them out through the work of Moses. And he like um, got them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, gathered them at the foot of Mount Sinai, and he gave them an identity. And listen to the words that he says in Exodus chapter 19. He says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, my agreement with you, then out of all of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. So you can see the same idea. Israel was brought to God not just to be given an identity as the people of God, as his chosen possession, but also to be given a purpose. They were given a job. They were given something to do, a reason. And that reason was to be set apart from all of the other nations. It's not like God wasn't doing anything anywhere else. It's not like he didn't care about those other countries, but he set them apart to be his priests, his special workers, his special people to have a special job. What was that job? It was to show the rest of the world who God was, to shine a light out into the world, to represent God, to all of the other nations, to usher people into his presence. That's what a priest does. He ushers people into the presence of God. He offers sacrifices on their behalf. And so how did Israel do that? How did Israel shine a light out into the community, out into the world to reveal who God was? Through obedience and allegiance to him. They were given the law. They were given the set of instructions on how to live. And they were to live those, um, those laws out. They were to, to live those instructions. They were to obey Him. And when people looked at Israel, when all of the nations looked around, they would see that God had given them some great rules, some great ways of living. They were following, they were worshiping, they were obeying God, and God was blessing them. And it would be a statement to the world, this is who God is. It would show the world who God is, and they would be drawn into relationship with him. They would be drawn into that space. At least that was the plan. Uh, It did not work very well. They did not obey very well, and so God had to punish instead of bless And the whole system kind of fell apart, which means, of course, they needed someone else to come and help them. And that's where Jesus comes in. And what's interesting is Jesus turns up and he says almost the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 5. What does he say to the people listening who would have been people who lived under that law? He said to them, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine for those around you before others that they may see your good deeds, your obedience, your allegiance, your worship of God, and glorify your Father in heaven. He's reiterating the same purpose that... We ha- with that uh, Moses gave the people back in Exodus. You are to be people who follow God and through that example, the world will come to know who I am. He doesn't change that, he reiterates it. And so Peter, as he's writing, he's reminding us that this is who we are. We are the people of God, a royal priesthood. We are the people who are expressly set apart to serve God by obeying Him, showing allegiance to Him, and revealing to the world who He is. We talked about this last week, didn't we? We talked about that our love for each other is the great one of the greatest um, examples of, of, of to the world of who God is. They see God when we love each other. They see God when we obey Him. They see God when we act like God's people, yeah? Does that make sense? Following along? Very good. And so we do the same way Israel did. We devote our lives in obedience, um, and, and, and we love each other. But then Jesus, as a sort of parting shot before he leaves, he adds another element to this as well. He says in Matthew 28, in this famous passage we call the Great Commission, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you've been in church more than 20 minutes, you've probably heard this passage before. It's okay if you haven't, but this is a very famous passage and it is very influential in the way that the church operates. So now we have this sort of two-pronged thing here about what it means to be priests? What does it mean to be God's set-apart people to serve God and to show the world who He is? You have this sort of, and I hate to use the word passive, but there's this passive aspect of if we live lives well, if we love each other, if we, if we obey God, and we, we sort of follow the way He wants us to live, worship Him, people will see that Whether we talk to them or not, they will see it and they will be drawn into God's presence by our example. But then we've got this more active role over here where he actually sends us out. So we're not just you know passively showing the world, but we're now telling the world. We are going out and sharing with him. So we've got this two-pronged approach to what it means to be priests in this world. And so over the last 2,000 years you've had this varying mixed bag approach to following these ideas. A lot of people are just like, you know what, it's easier if I just take the passive approach. I'm just going to live a good life and, and then people will see that and that'll be great. Uh, I, this other one's too hard. Other people are like, this passive approach is too passive. I need to get out there and do something. And so they kind of ignore the living well part and just go out and talk to people, which has mixed results. And so around the world, we've got all of these different movements, all of these different things that people have done to answer to in response to this Great Commission, this idea of being priests of the world. We have missions movements that have taken the, the, the Word of God all around the world, and some of those have been good, and some of those have been very bad and done a lot of damage and some of them have done a lot of great things and God has used a lot of them. We've seen revivals and and some of them have been cringy and other ones have been very, very powerful. We've seen church plants, some of which are very successful, some of which are not. And we've had millions of spirit-filled conversations throughout the last 2,000 years. Unfortunately, it has also sparked some less helpful ways of doing things. Some less helpful strategies like that rely on emotional manipulation, that rely on humiliation or shaming or worse. All done in the name of the Great Commission, of course. Added to that, of course, we have our own personal fear. We, we don't like to go out and talk to people um, we talked about this a couple of years ago when we started introducing this idea of, of sharing our faith, and we said that it's actually very, very hard, especially when we're thinking about people who are close to us in our circles, like our family or our workmates or, or those sorts of places, because if we do it and we do it wrong, we still have to show up the next day and continue living with them or working with them. Yeah? And so we have this kind of fear of burning bridges of people close to us. So we'd much rather either take the passive approach only, or we'd much rather do evangelism with people we don't know who are further away, you know. So like mission starts to sound better because they don't really know me, and if I go over there and I really stuff things up, I can just come back home again, (laughs) all right. Or I'll go door to door because I don't have to see these people anymore, or, or whatever. So there's lots of different things that we often do to try and put a gap of separation between us and the people that we're trying to evangelize. Unfortunately, we also recognize that the people we are best able to reach with the story of Jesus are the people who are naturally close to us and naturally part of our relationships anyway. I mean, God placed us in our spaces for a reason. We are in workplaces with people who need to know who Jesus is we are in families and sometimes with people who need to know who he is we are at school with people we are at social clubs in different places with people who need to know who he is we are the best placed people to have an impact but the stakes are higher for those people aren't they Alright, so here we are. We sit in 21st century New Zealand, northwest corner of Auckland, here in Church Northwest, and we've got a bit of a conundrum. We have a bit of an issue on our hands, because on one hand, we have this very distinct command to not just passively, but actively share our faith. And on the other hand, we have this deep, intense fear of doing it wrong. And a lot of historical evidence to back up that there are definitely ways of doing it wrong. Yes? The church has not always been very good at this. And so we find ourselves caught in this hard place. Now, there is one voice in our heads that says we need to maybe not hold so closely to these relationships that we have, and we need to not place them above our relationship with God. You know, God is more important than anything else, so go out there and just get it done. You know, don't don't let fear control you. Take your best shot and let the chips fall where they may. And you know what? It's actually true that God does demand nothing less than first place in our lives. And He knows that living that way may mean people get pushed away. We are going to offend some people. Listen to the words. That he tells his followers in Luke chapter twelve, he says, "Do you think I came to bring peace on earth?" I mean, the carols, kind of the Christmas carols we sing, kind of point to that. I thought that's what you were going to do. But he says, "No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five and one family." divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That was probably happening anyway. But, you know, like, this is going to happen, he says. And he's not apologizing. Because allegiance to God over everyone else is going to lead some people to walk away from us. It's going to lead to the break of some very close, very dear relationships. And he says, you need to be willing for that to happen in order to follow me. These are hard, hard words from Jesus. He says, sharing our faith, which is part of our allegiance to Jesus, because he told us to go and do it. He says, that might mean some people will not like you. It may mean some people will walk away from you. Now, you've got to remember, in the context where Jesus is talking, he is talking to people who lived in Israel, who were under the leadership of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, who controlled all aspects of life, and they declared, or are going to declare, Jesus to be a heretic. So when you follow Jesus, you're not just saying, hey, I'm part of this cool social club. You are saying the leadership is wrong. You are saying in defiance of their ruling, basically they're the government as as far as day-to-day life goes. And so when you declare that you are a follower of Jesus and you tell other people about it, it has serious ramifications for their day-to-day life and they will resist it. We don't have that issue quite as bad, but there are still going to be situations that if we stand to what we believe, if we follow God and what He tells us is true about the world and about people, if we hold that, some people will be offended and they will break contact. We can't shy away from that reality that God still calls us forward in despite of that. However... You're like, there better be a however here. However, that does not mean that following our commands and and sharing our faith, that doesn't mean we have to do it stupidly. There's another place where Jesus tells his his followers to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Translation: follow God's commandments. Always follow his commandments. But use your noggin and how you do it. Try to add a little sprinkling of wisdom in the how. And that is ever so true when we are talking about sharing our faith. The way we do it can make all of the difference. Which led us, as very clever people, a couple of years ago, to introduce this idea called love thy neighborhood. And no, we didn't really come up with that. We're sort of gathering some ideas that we'd found from other places. And this is the idea that we wanted to use as our method, if you will, of evangelism, of sharing faith at Church Northwest. The Love Thy Neighborhood idea is a way of sharing love with Jesus in a way that makes sense for the culture and the place and the time that we are in right now. It recognizes the way that people interact with each other. It recognizes the way that people feel about faith. And it recognizes the fear that we have in trying to broach this subject with people. All right, so we did a whole series on this in June of 2021. And I think Whitney very helpfully um, put a link into the podcast uh, to the podcast in the Bible app. So you were more than welcome, and I recommend going back um, and having a listening to some of those series as we sort of really pick it apart a bit more than I can do in one morning. But I want to cover the three basic steps that we were talking about. Shockingly simple steps of ways of sharing our faith in a way that makes sense. So the first step that we had, I even I even brought back the, uh, the old um, graphic designs, uh, Whitney Hutchison, by the way, is the person who designs all of these fantastic um, things that we use for our screens. She probably did not approve of the fact that I went from one design that she had to the next design. that she had, But I didn't ask her permission. So, but I just wanted to remind us of where we were in this space. So there's three things that we can do to love our neighborhood. The first is identifying your neighborhood. And this is a very simple process of saying, where has God best placed me? To reach the people around me in the most natural relationships I already have. Isn't that incredible? We don't actually have to go out and generate necessarily that we can sometimes go calls us to do that sort of thing. And there's there's elements where he says, you know, you need to go and sort of make a presence in this space so that you can build relationships. And that's great. But for most of us, we're already there. We're already living on a street with neighbors. We're already going to work, and there are other people who, by coincidence, go to the same place to work at the same time. We already have these natural relationships, family, whatever it is, we have people already around us, probably many different networks. So the idea of this was to say, which one does God want me to focus on? So like, for example, Nate and Whitney Hutchison, their focus was on their street. And so they showed us different things that they were doing. They would do like little block parties or they would set up their basketball hoop outside on the street so that it would draw people in, different things like that. They can tell you more stories about that. I decided my best neighborhood was my kid's school. I'm on the uh, board of trustees there. being able to sort of do some volunteering and so I'm able to interact with that school. So that's my focus. Yours might be completely different. It doesn't matter which neighborhood you're looking at. God will point you to the right one. So once you decide which neighborhood is the one that God is leading you into, then step two is you love them. It's very complicated. It is very, very complicated. But you love, you serve, and you pray for them. And that can be as simple as they're going through a hard time. I'm going to bring you a meal. It may be a simply like they put the basketball hoop out and the kids come around and play and they let them. (laughs) They encourage them. You know, they they, might be, you know, super stressful household next door, kids running around crazy. I'm going to do a little pool party or something for them. All sorts of different ideas, simple, natural things that we do to generate a, a relationship between the two of you. Not trying to gain results at that point, but just simply loving, serving them. Now, that may not sound like evangelism very much to you, but here's the cool part. The third step is waiting for God to open up opportunities for us to use words. We don't have to generate, and in our culture, in our time, for the most part, Most people aren't interested in you starting a conversation about Jesus. They're deathly scared of that. They don't want to hear from you. They're afraid that you are going to trip them up, dunk them in a pool, and say, "Yeah, you're a Christian now. They are very afraid of us. (laughs) And history, again, is not on our side. So we don't. We wait for the Spirit to spark something through our love, through our serving, through the way that we care for them, that he opens up an opportunity and we are ready for it. We are open. We listen. Listen. We look. We pay attention to what God is doing. And then when he opens an opportunity, a question, we give an answer. They want to explore more, we share more. Not everything, not all at once. But we just take those steps. Meet them where they're at. I think that's what we could do that, right? I mean, that sounds feasible. That sounds possible. Now, a couple of things about this, very important notes about this. First, this is not an evangelism model that is centered on programming and the church leadership doing that you participate in. Does that make sense? This is not something that we will do the evangelism. You just invite someone along. That's not the way that we're going to go about this because we don't believe that's the most effective way. It's not that we're being lazy or you know, we don't want to do it. It's that we believe the most effective way is through relationship with you. So what are we doing as a leadership? We want to encourage and equip you. We want to help you. We want to help each other as we take our steps towards that. So we might uh, do some things like uh, share stories. We want to hear your stories. We want to like bring you up or or video you or or just something, maybe even read out an email if you want of things that you've tried, things that you've failed at, things that you've done well at, things that you've seen a response from, whatever it is, we want to share those stories to encourage us that we can do this, we can make an impact Um, and provide resources. Um, We have a book that we've been sort of working through called God Space. If you want to put the photo, yeah, there it is. Um, And so we can access some copies for that. If you want a copy of this book, which really goes through this process of how to best build those relationships and have good conversations with people. It's a really fantastic book. I can get those. You could just um, flick $20 or a Koha or something, um, and and we can get you a book. So we will do that. Um, If you would like that, you can just email me, and we'll make that happen. All right, second thing, and this is kind of wrapping this up. Love thy neighborhood, and I believe the most effective evangelism that we will do is not short-term one-off, but long-term relationship-based connection. We are not just here for a year and moving on, but we want to get involved in people's lives. Now, part of that means... We need to be ready to have long-term connections with the people around us. Some of them we do anyway. That's why our natural relationships make sense, because we're already connected with them. But we're not looking for a result tomorrow. We're not looking to follow step one, two, and three, and next week I've got this great story, you know, uh, five of my workmates are now Christian. Yay! It's not going to happen that way. Maybe God will do something amazing. You know, opportunities open up, things happen. He can do whatever He wants. We need to be prepared, though, that we may not see those results right away. Or, and here's the really tricky part, we may not see those results at all. Because we don't produce the results, we just follow God's lead. We love, we serve, we wait for opportunities, we're ready for those opportunities. But God is the one who is going to work on people's hearts and draw them closer to himself. That's what he does. And he may or may not do it while you are involved in the equation. Listen to what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians in, um, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, What, after all, is Apollos? Apollos is another church leader and preacher a, at the time. And, and what is Paul talking about himself? We're only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to, uh, to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. We don't know which part of the horticultural process we are involved in when we're sharing faith. We don't know if we're planting seeds or watering them. We don't know if we're setting it up for someone else to come in and take all of the glory. You know, we don't know where we sit with this. So we do not need to judge whether we are succeeding or failing by how many people have made decisions. That's not how we measure that. We measure it by how faithfully you have followed God's opportunity and his leading. God will do the work. Does that make sense? We're going to keep talking about love thy neighborhood. We're going to keep talking about bringing hope to Northwest Auckland and beyond all year. Uh, So you're going to hear more about this. If you have any questions about any of this, please come and see me or come and see one of the staff, one of the elders. Um, We really want this to be something that is accessible and doable so that we will actually do it, so that we have Love Thy Neighborhood as this active faith sharing, and then we have this loving each other and this faith building as our passive witness to the world. If we do that, we can actually make a change in our area. Wouldn't that be something? On that note, I'm going to pray. Lord, I just, um, I, I thank you so much that we have a hope to begin with, we have something to share. I thank you that um, you love us and have done so much for us. I just ask that you give us confidence, that you would help us to um, identify the places you have placed us, the people around us that you have put us next to so that we can love and serve them, we can care for them, we can pray for them, and that you would stir their hearts and open up opportunities, questions asked, um, comments made, um, connections sort of deepened, so that we can share that love with them to your glory and, and by your work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.